Hi, the ho, all you boys and girls out there in podcast land. It takes a lot to produce a show like this, and I want to take the time to thank those of you who helped keep it going. First, all of you who've spread the word and rated us on iTunes, thank you, thank you, thank you. It helps us tremendously. Second, those of you who are Dare Dreamer FM premium members, for a monthly cost equal to about the cost of a venti ice caramel macchiato, you not only support this podcast, but you get access to ebooks, templates, discounts to other services, and more. Just go to daredreamer.fm slash join to sign up. Lastly, we're also supported in part by Song Freedom, a music licensing site where you can not only get high-quality music from a wide variety of genres, but you can also legally license mainstream music for use in wedding and event videos, nonprofits, and personal work. Just go to songfreedom.com radio to unlock a free standard gold-level license that's worth $30. Thanks to Song Freedom and everyone else I've mentioned. We really appreciate your support. Now on with the show. Take one, take ten, Marker. Action. When I interview people for the show, it is not with the intent of having that whole interview be an episode. That was my last podcast. When I interview people for the show, I'm all over the place right. talking about because I'm going to use snippets for whatever. In early June, I was in Los Angeles to film our upcoming Women in Film series. While down there, I hung out with good friends and show regulars JD and Yolanda Cochran. Every now and then, if an interview is really good, I'll clean it up a little bit and I'll put a beginning and an ending on it and I'll make that whole interview a bonus episode. I understand that's how you see it, but your audience doesn't know. They don't make that distinguishment. Of, oh, no, this is just the thing that's going to use all around. All right, so then that's a problem on me, branding-wise. Yeah. 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 So, I, I totally didn't get that. I didn't know. I just thought it was you, an episode. But then you didn't listen to the beginning because every okay. time I do one of those, those <laughs> episodes, like, every time yeah, I do, say, I, I always say, yeah, I right. say, I remember as that. You, departure from our normal. Right. But again, I would argue, isn't this more of a semantical thing? Because like no. when, no, no, because here's the deal. When I listen to your show, I could give two squirts about whether it's a thing. It's like, oh, here's another 35 minute chunk that I'm going to listen to of Ron's show. Whether Now, whether you can distinguish, well, wait a second. Now, hold on, JD. This time it's an interview versus an actual show <laughs> show. That, I don't care. That conversation you just heard was part of an audio diary recorded with them as we discussed their take on my full uncut interview with Rocket Jump Film School creator and dean Lauren Haratunian. The issue at hand was that JD was commenting on how my uncut interview with Lauren seemed just like any other regular episode of the show, whereas I was emphatically reminding him that most episodes are not just one long one-on-one interview. I mean, come on, you guys know that, right? I mean, week after week, we bring you smartly edited, highly produced audio documentaries. There's a reason I call the show This American Life of Filmmaking. Due to the nature of the show, I usually just pull from each interview the sound bites I need for any particular episode. Now, with that being said, every now and then, there's a full interview so full of juicy filmmaking goodness, it feels like a shame not to share the whole thing with you. And I have quite a few wonderful interviews from season one that fit the bill. So, today is the official launch of a new series of the show I'm calling Radio Film School Raw. Radio Film School interviews that are uncut, unfiltered, and unbelievable. Well, that last part may be a tad hyperbolic marketing, but I can't think of a third unword, so I reserve the right to change that in the future. And what better way to kick off the series than with world-renowned director of photography, teacher, and gear review master himself, Philip Bloom. I would find it hard to believe that most of you listening to this didn't know who Philip Bloom is. He's a seasoned DP out of the UK who's done just about everything under the sun when it comes to filmmaking. His camera reviews are like mini documentaries, beautifully crafted and have racked up hundreds of thousands, if not millions of views. His website, philipbloom.net, gets over 1 million visitors a month. And most recently, he's been the DP for the CNN show, The Wonderlist. Phil was one of the first filmmakers I interviewed for season one of the show. 
If you get a chance, check out two of the earliest shortens episodes of the season. What the Hell Are You? A funny yet poignant conversation with filmmakers about what we filmmakers call ourselves. And Plan E from Outer Space. A look at all the things that go wrong in a film set. Both of those have excerpts from this interview you're about to hear. Also, just this week I posted an episode about being a one-man band. Besides excerpts from this interview, you will also hear from multiple Vimeo staff pick winner Brandon Lee, as well as Adorama TV's Through the Lens creator Sal Dahlia. That episode should be in the iTunes feed by the time you hear this. But this is the first time you'll be able to hear my full, uncut interview with Bloom, and we cover a gamut of topics. How he got a start, why he calls himself a filmmaker, why he does his reviews the way he does, how he deals with online criticism, the biggest misconception people have about him, and the proverbial much, much more. Stay tuned after the interview to learn about a special offer. But for now, here's my raw interview with the one and only Philip Bloom. Uncut, unfiltered, and unbelievable. Oh, how are you doing? Does that sound like a- yeah. yeah, fine. I'm going to have to have a fan going in the room. Just to ha- England is, is stupidly hot right now. It's like 95 degrees. And 95 uh, we're not used to it. Celsius? That is hot. Not Celsius, no. I think that it would all be dead. <laughs> <laughs> but Wait, our homes can. Our homes, they're designed to keep heat in because we're not all that warm a country. And so when it gets hot, it's unbearable in the houses. So do hopefully they it's go, not too loud. Do they use Celsius or Fahrenheit in London? Uh, we use Celsius, but uh, you're American, so I translated it for you. Thank you very much, sir. Appreciate that. You're welcome. I, I did not get confused. I did not know it got hot in London, honestly. Mm. I mean, an average in the summer is about sort of a high temperature would be about eighty, um, but you get freakish times <laughs> yeah. every now and then, like yeah, now. Yeah, I'm in Seattle, which is which is kind of like the no, I was going to say it's the London of America, but it really isn't. Um, yeah, it's pretty hot here too. We're in the we're in the low nineties, so. Oh blimey, that is hot. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's not. So I've only been once, and it didn't rain. Oh, did it rain? No, it didn't. No, I'm lying. It did rain when I was there. I think my time in Seattle. I was, only, I was only there for three, two, three days, and it did rain for two of them. But it's a beautiful place. Oh yeah, it's probably the most beautiful place I lived. I actually had a chance to visit your country for the first time earlier this year. Oh yeah, what yeah. were you over here for? Um, for vacation and um, doing some personal filming and stuff like that with my wife and kids and went to London and we went up to Lancaster and or Manchester Lancaster that's random yeah I think Why well, Lanc- my wife had a friend like a Facebook friend like who's like a real friend mm. that she met and lived up there and then that friend has like a home in Scotland and so we went up to Scotland, right. like near Edinburgh. Um, okay, that's that very so, close. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I know you're a busy man, so I appreciate you doing this. I'm excited to have you on. Welcome. So it's quite early for you there, isn't it? It's what? Time is it there for you? Um, it's now 5.42 a.m. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> I actually, I'm impressed. Well, I actually, uh, I actually go to the gym every morning at five, so I would have been up anyway. So, oh, blimey! My bad. God, you are impressive. You're an impressive <laughs> man. I, I'm trying. I'm trying to catch up with you. Well, no, I'm not like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wanted to have you on, Phil, because I'm exploring this idea of of style and like what it means to have a style, and if it's something that I don't know, is it something that's natural? I know there's a it's a combination of like being natural and maybe being something you develop. But I wanted to get your take on it. Like when you think about like a filmmaker's style, do you, do you see it being more something that just naturally flows out of like whatever seems their instinct in terms of how they might shoot or compose or edit something? Or is it more like an intentional direction in how they take their art and their craft? I, I think it's a very difficult question to answer because I think it it varies from people to people. I'm sure, sure if I'd studied film, if I'd gone to film school and done that sort of like analysing 
film directors from their early works to the later stuff and see how things developed. You'd, you know, you get hints like that. But my path wasn't anything like that. My path was completely different. It was, it was photography as a hobby, mm-hmm. not knowing what to do as a job when I was in the last couple of years of school, thinking, what on earth can I do with my life? I don't want to do anything university-wise. I really can't be bothered. <laughs> I just want to earn some money or do something interesting. Right. And I sort of thought about photography as a career, and then and that became uh, TV because photography was just for for the kids listening out there. There was such a thing as film uh, <laughs> in photography. And when I was eighteen or seventeen, actually, when I was looking at getting a job, uh, film was still what photography was. And I, I went to meet a photographer and get some advice about what to do and he said get out don't do this job because digital's coming in and it's going to change everything it's going to make everything cheap and everybody's going to be a photographer <laughs> and of course you know we saw that same thing with video um you know later on but i took that yes. advice and that's how i so i never wanted to be a filmmaker of any sort uh, not at all i enjoyed making films I, I got into tv news um and so i don't i've i don't even know you know when it comes to a style, whatever a style may be, um, I think it's what generally pleases you is is way is is going to be your starting point. Mm-hmm. It's something that na- is is natural to you. Anything that's forced is, is very rarely going to come off well. Um, every I think I've recently started looking back, uh, digitizing some um, of my old initial. Um, news reports from when I first started shooting. Um, so this would have been 23, 24 years ago. Because um, I initially started off as a runner in TV news. And um, it's interesting looking at some of the early, sh- some, you know, they're, they're crap, to be fair, um, <laughs> judging them from, you know, how I feel about I look at stuff five years ago and it's crap. But that's, that's, I think that's a good thing, to be honest with you. I think it's, it's a good attitude to have is maybe not as harsh as that, but always, you know, wanting to be better and aiming to be better and hopefully seeing improvements in your work in every aspect of your work. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my early stuff, um, I never, you know, because I, I, I never wanted to do, you know, I, I used the term to describe myself as filmmaker because like you uh, and like so many people out there, do so many different roles and tasks and things you know i don't really pigeonhole myself you know if i said i was a dp then i wouldn't be editing i wouldn't be directing i wouldn't be doing the whole things or you know i wouldn't be doing half of the stuff that i do a true traditional dp does that and so you know we're all multi-skillers and and i think that part of it has certainly improved me in what i do and so when i look at that old work I see, I see some shots which I like. Um, I see bits that I like and bits I don't like. But I see how I, I take a, you know, I look at a frame and go, you know, I don't think I would have done things that much differently. Mm. And and for for my entire career in in Sky News, which was seventeen years, um, we used three different types of Betacam cameras. Two of them were analog SPs, and one of them was a, a, a digital hybrid camera called a Betacam SX with a two-third-inch chip. These are, these are sensors which are smaller than these new RX100 cameras are coming out from the little pocket cameras. Right. These are tiny. These are they're not. They were, they were never considered tiny sensors back then. I didn't even really consider such a thing as what size sensors works. So I was it was very different. Um, but I was still, you know, doing show depth of field and long lens stuff and. My framing was quite deliberate at times, um, but I, I look at it, and I mean, most of it, I go, it just, I just do not like it at all. And um, maybe if I, you know, I get into a really, really, um, I don't know, some sort of strange frame of mind where I might actually share it. Who knows? It may well happen. I have done that in the past. Shared some really crap stuff of mine in the past, just to show. Um, but I think when I first started. I was working with another cameraman. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen a lot these days when people start out. They're basically working for, on their own and they're looking online at stuff. I had somebody who I watched and I watched what other cameramen did. There's a camera, you know, it was a 25 cameraman department and it used to be pa- uh, partnered up with a single cameraman. And you hoped to be partnered up with 
A, somebody who was very skilled and talented that you, whose work you saw and really liked. Mm. Secondly, somebody you could get on with. And thirdly, and still importantly, somebody who had a decent taste in music because you spend so much time in the car. <laughs> and my God, I remember getting in the car with, there was this one cameraman, he was, nobody ever wanted to work with him. He was, he was quite a difficult fella. Um, but the worst thing was, his taste in music was just atrocious. You get in the car, he would never let you drive as a control freak. And so, therefore, he the, the, the rules. The, these are the rules. I don't know if you, they have the same rules there. The rules oh, yeah. are: if you drive, if you drive, you choose the music. That's the rules. And so, but he let, he said, you know what? I'm going to let you choose. And so he passed me a box of cassettes. Um, you remember what cassettes are? I do. Um, I'm from that. And time. I looked at them and I went, mm, <laughs> uh, um, "Do you have anything else?" <laughs> and it was like it was one of those things. But there was some incredibly talented people that I worked with and, and they taught me so much and I think that's probably where my formative style started trying to emulate in a way what they would what their, their starting blocks were and then sort of but then you because you would end up working with a few of them you'd end up taking elements of different things and then hopefully bringing in your own style and, and and that's really what I did, and I think that's what I did with Sky um, in the last few years, especially before I left, uh, when I was doing lots and lots of travel and lots and lots of um, documentary-style long reports, sixty-minute-style reports. I tried to make things look as filmic as possible, um, and I was the first person to give give video a pseudo, today's video pseudo progressive look in Britain uh, for news. There was no, nobody else touched it. You know, I, I messed around with it in the Avid and tried to make it as filmic as possible. And it, I mean, that became my style. And, mm. and I think that kind of set me on a path as well. Yeah. Was that, uh, was it because you just felt like that was, you know, like you said, you know, earlier, it just came natural for you and, um, or was it, or like, were you looking at, video of the day and news of the day and thinking to yourself, oh, that looks like crap. I want to do something that looks better. And you saw that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I... A lot of things uh, do come naturally, you know. If I'm, mm -hmm. you know, if I... if I, You know what English people are like. Well, you've met <laughs> quite a few. You've been to England, so you know that we have a very dry sense of humour. <laughs> and which very rarely translates online. All you need to do is take a look at my Instagram profile <laughs> and just look at my comment, the comments to what I write. Most of my stuff I write online for social media is just very silly and a very dry sense of humour. Most of it isn't gone. And one of the things that I say um, to somebody who's starting out in, just normally in person. It's easier to tell in person, sort of, not mm. really. Um, but is you can't you can't learn to be a cameraman. You're just born with it. It's like a natural ability, like a, like like Mozart. You know, you can't you. It's, if it's not in your genes, you can't force it. Don't do it. So, and I'm I'm I am mostly joking. I think if you have no natural ability whatsoever, you might be able to to get something. But, I, I mean, I think the, the building blocks are very simple. The eye is the key thing. You need to have a compositional eye. And I think that came, that was natural. I look at old photographs from when I was a kid, and I'm shocked at actually how well composed they are. And these are, these are not edited in Lightroom. These are photos taken and printed and done. That's it. And I was like, oh, that did quite well with that. I really thought about that. That's not bad <laughs> at all. I was surprised. And then I look at photos that my mum takes and my sister takes, and there is not even a slight hint of any uh, compositional skill in there whatsoever. So do you think they, uh, can't, they can be trained to be? No, I was just thinking I don't know where it came from. It's certainly not come from my my uh, my mum. Right. Uh, my sister doesn't have any discernible um, skills in photography. My dad... He he did some Super 8 when he was a kid. Uh, no, when we, we were growing up, and so there's like you know, I, I collated all of the Super 8 home video recently, and it wasn't much. It, it, amount, it amounted out to about 121 minutes worth, uh, which in today's home video terms is you know, 
is one one kid's party where somebody's just hit record the whole time. <laughs> this is this is like fifteen years of growing up in one one hour and twenty one minutes. Right. Which is actually you know as you can imagine a hell of a lot easier to watch. Right. Than that can you imagine the hours and hours? Because do people edit home video? I don't, I don't know. Think they don't. I mean, even I don't my, think even home video that I've taken, I've I mean, I have hours and hours of stuff I've never touched, and and this is what I do. Mm, I don't yeah. know. So I mean, I think he's got some. He, he I think he, he he wouldn't call himself creative at all, um, but I think he's got it. Got some, you know, something in there. I don't come from a creative family whatsoever. I just in, enjoyed it, and it. And I think it's one of these things I just took to. I took to very quickly. And when I was when I was at Sky, they 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 saw that they saw that I had a natural ability. And does it mean I this was my calling? Um, I'm probably better at something else. I'll probably just never find out what that is. Um, there's some you know maybe we, all of us are good at doing a number of things, but sometimes sadly some people never find out what they're really good at. I've luckily found out that I'm half decent at this and. Have, have developed developed that skill. Um, Why do you think that is? You said some people never find out what they're really good at. Why do you think that is? I think it's you don't know. I mean, it could just just opportunities. You know, somebody, for example, could be you know incredibly musically gifted, but have never been close to musical instruments or had a lesson or anything like that. These are possible. I mean, you know, there's all sorts of things. Or I think it's just circumstance. Circumstance makes it happen. Uh, you can, without a doubt, you can learn and become very good at, at lots and lots of things. You know, if, you know. I love um, music. Music is is a huge thing for me. I cannot play very well at all. Um, I can play very bad guitar, very bad piano, and I tried and I tried, but there's no natural ability in there whatsoever from mm. me. And I'm sure if I really put my mind to it. I could become half decent, but I would never be great. Mm-hmm. I know I'd never be great. Those people have natural ability. I'm not trying to equate camera work to musical ability, but I think there is. I think with most things, if you have some sort of natural predisposition hmm. to certain things, it certainly takes a lot of the work away. Earlier, uh, you mentioned Mozart, and it's funny you bring that up because one of the topics that's come up, and I and I brought this up when I was speaking with another group of filmmakers. Um, have you ever seen Amadeus? I have, yes. Yeah, it's one of my favorite films. And, and you know, if you recall, like in that movie, it's about um, Salieri. He, you know, in his current state, he's an old man and he feels like he's responsible for the death of Mozart. And he tells the story about how he was so jealous of Mozart's ability and how he felt like, like God had given him this talent and this desire to be a great composer and he works so hard at being one and then he sees this guy who this you know this young you know you know young whippersnapper who is uh profane and just horrid but he has this incredible skill and and at the end of the movie you know spoiler alert if you haven't seen amadeus but at the end of the movie he kind of refers to himself as the patron saint of mediocrity and so you know, that's one of the things I, as a filmmaker, has struggled with. This feeling of, you know, your work not being as great as the people that you see online or as the movies that you see. And mm. Is that something you've ever struggled with personally? Where you're, and, and I know we've all, have artists at some point, never feel like our work is good enough. But I'm talking about even, like, more profound and deep, like, like a deep sense of, oh, I'm just not good at this. Has that ever been a feeling you've dealt with? Uh, I think you have times where you feel like that, whether that's down to moods or, you know, those sort of depression type feelings. Um, there's times when I've seen stuff online, which is just like blown me away. I think more so in the, you know, as I get older and older and I'm now 44 and I see stuff online from 16, 17 year olds. I think when I sort of, th- that depresses me in that when I think about when I was 16 or 17, <laughs> Great. there was nothing of that sort of quality. I mean, you know, I can, you can make excuses like, oh, you didn't have access to that sort of gear, blah, blah, blah. Sure, that's quite possible. But it still terrifies me in that I see stuff from people 25 years younger than me that is just astonishing and immense, immense talent there, immense stuff. Those sort of things can affect you for sure. Hmm. Um, 
you know, I, there, there's you know countless, so there's countless people out there who are um, way more skilled and talented than me. Um, I think the key thing is to know um, is, is not to let it affect you, and to just do your best. Um, I, what I do um, is I'm always trying to do different things and trying different uh, stuff. Not to, to change my style, but looking, I'm always playing with new technology. And you know, like I took up drones last year, um, played with that, and I'm just look, always looking for different things to keep the sort of the passion and the excitement and and all of that going. Um, am I ever going to be as good a, a drone flyer as these guys who do it every day? Of course not. No, um, a lot of that is down to practice as well. But I don't think I don't think I really get to the point where I'd like. Oh, I was going to give up. Um, I don't mm. think you should ever feel that way because as long as you enjoy what you're doing, and as long as you're getting work, of course, if you're doing it professionally, then I, I don't I don't really feel that sort of thing you know i mean the thing with mozart and salieri it's such an extreme thing i mean you know we're talking uh, you know a three-year-old composing um (laughs) you know if i saw a video online um an amazing film that was made by a three-year-old maybe i would just quit (laughs) and i'd be like that's it i've had enough that's just ridiculous (laughs) right you know, we have a, somebody picking up the best cinematography awards at the Academy Awards who's seven. I think we'll all quit, definitely. Yeah. Thankfully, we don't have anything as extreme as that um, yet. But I think um, there was something I saw online. What was it? It was, I can't, that's really, really bad. I can't remember the, the guy's name. But it was, um, it was, I think it was called Flow Lapse, the style. And it was one of Dubai, and the guy actually should look Oh, up yeah, I, I remember blogging about that. Yeah, he's done so many. He's done quite a few of these things. But the one in Dubai was so ridiculously incredible that it makes everything else just look mediocre and does almost make you feel like you just want to give up. Um, but the amount of work that was done in that, the amount of money that was spent in that, you know, that's part of the thing as well. It's it's about resources as Ro- well. Rob Whitworth was his name. Rob Whitworth, he, you know, that's his thing. That's you know, if anybody talk about style, Rob Whitworth has a style. That's what he does. Um, it's like you know, okay, Rob Whitworth, now I want you to go and shoot um, some interviews for me in a boardroom. <laughs> go, right. you know, this is not what he does. It's it's you know, I'm sure you do it fine. It's I think it's very cool uh, to have a specific style, and if it's your calling card, then I think you should definitely make the most of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it's important, though, to do yeah, lots of other things. You know, time lapses, for me, is time is just a device within a, some, a film that I may make. I may not use it at all. I may not, but to do it as, as a profession, I could, I could never because it's I don't have the patience for it. Well, here's a, here's an interesting question because you've done a number of time lapse. So, like when you see something like Rob Whitworth, do you like does that inspire you to try something different the next time you do a time lapse, or is it because since time lapse isn't your main thing, you're not particularly inspired to try to do something different within the time lapse genre? I think something like here's one is so specific though because it is so much of it is done in post. Sure. Um, that it's a different thing. If you see some of the stuff, some of the motion time lapses that you see, um, and those will make you, would inspire you a little bit more than that. But I don't really, time lapse doesn't excite me at all, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I still do it occasionally. But it's yeah. not It's not my thing. Um, so uh, it's tricky. I mean, it's, uh, that, I mean, it could, if, if, if I was a time lapse guy and I saw that, then yes, I would. But again, it's, it's a very different thing. Hmm. That's it's it's short and it's very condensed and it's incredibly stylized. Right. And and it'll get it will get to a point where you'd want to do something else. As a filmmaker, you'd you, you would want to do something else. It's like okay, I've done this in every city possible. <laughs> um, what now? So yeah, um, I think it's 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 important. I mean, it's the whole reason why I left. Well, I think one of the main reasons I left Sky after 17 years and being very comfortable and everything was I felt like I needed to try some different things. Yeah, I wanted to try different genres, and there was, I was never going to happen. I was doing documentaries, loving it, but I felt I, you know, it was a, 17 years in one company was a long time and time to try different things. And you know, that was 2006, so nine years ago, and I'm still trying new things yeah. constantly. Um, 
you've brought up age a couple of times, uh, talking about like how old you were and, you know, if you were to see uh, the equivalent of a Mozart in filmmaking. And this is something that has crossed my mind from time to time recently, this whole <clears throat> this whole idea of age. And uh, most recently, after watching um, Mad Max Fury Road um, mm. and realizing, like, George Miller is 70 years old mm-hmm. and he's you know, created this film. Have you seen it yet? Has it come out in the UK yet? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so he's created this film that people are saying is going to redefine the action genre moving forward. Or I think about, he's a Brit, isn't he? Or is he Australian? No, no, no. He's, he's, he's you know, a colonist, isn't he? Aussie. I, thought, uh, I don't know. Oh, he's an Aussie. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. Um, but there is a Brit, um, really Scott, who yeah. um, is like, what, 75, 76? And mm-hmm. uh, I think he was 45 when he did Alien, which was his, uh, you know, his first feature. And so, you know, being in that age range myself, having this sense of, uh, I guess, encouragement that, oh, okay, here are some guys who they started their careers, at least in feature filmmaking, at this age and they're still going strong and they're still doing amazing work. Does your age and like how you feel about that affect, I guess your outlook on your career? Like, is that something you do ever get concerned about? I think most people will get concerned about, you know, whether they feel their best years are behind them. Um, you know, if you're looking at filmmaker terms, then, you know, so many examples of filmmakers being, you know, not being as good as they used to be you know we see it we hear about it all the time you know so oh, i don't think spielberg's made it you know his films aren't as good as they used to be you know nothing really captures jaws or Raiders of lost ark mm. um we have the really extreme version which will be like um orson wells who who made his best film at 24 mm-hmm. uh, and everything was downhill from then um I but, know a lot of people would say like was it the incredible the incredible anderson's or something like that um wasn't that later in his career? A lot of people said that that was a pretty fantastic. The Citizen Kane was such a defining thing. Sure. Twenty-four years old. Yeah. And you know, and people also actually say that. That's kind of what people are saying. I mean, with Mad Max Fury Road, I mean, it, you know, it's not just um, the fact that you've got uh, a director of you know of, of advancing years, uh, the DP John Seal. Uh, he's what is he 70 I think he's like 72 or 73 something like that I think he came out of retirement to do this wow and that's such a kinetic looking film for a DP and some of the the things that they tried were so you know clever it's the sort of thing that you could imagine Anthony Dodd Mantle doing you know really experimenting with different things and this is John Silver classically a classic um, DP who shot the English patient, you know, also in the desert, mm-hmm. looks very different to Mad Max Fury Road. Sure, I would say. Could, God, could you imagine if they shot them, shot, <laughs> shot the <laughs> English patient in the style of Mad Max Fury <laughs> Road? That'd be interesting. So uh, I don't, you know, I, I I think about it. I do think about it a lot. But then I think, then I look at stuff that I've done, and I feel that I still am getting better. If I start feeling that. I think the key thing is I still love what I do. I absolutely adore what I do. Mm. I love shooting. I love trying different things. And I don't feel that... I feel I'm getting better. I feel... I'm not saying everything I do is the best, best thing I've ever done. Um, but I, I feel that I am always improving. Mm. And, that, and that's... As long as I, I feel that way um, is the most important thing, I would say. As long as you mm-hmm. feel that you are... You know, if you feel like... If you feel you are clocking in and clocking off... And you're just going through the motions, because it was something I was absolutely terrified of well, when nice. I was when I was young of going through the motions hmm. of clocking in and clocking off. Because when I was at Sky in the early years, there were guys in there who'd been shooting a lot long, had been shooting a long time, and and I, I you know, I'd go to things, you know, do do some basic you know, early, very early in my career. Um, I'd be on outside the high courts, you know, waiting for a court story to finish. And there'd be cameramen out there uh, from other, other channels who were old. And I just thought, 
God, if I if I'm doing this at their <laughs> age, just shoot me. I think they were probably they were probably about thirty. Um, so this was me, you know, twenty year old me thinking, oh, really? God, look at them. Um, but it was always something I was concerned about because there was a lot of cameramen within the department at Sky right. who didn't give a crap about anything. They just wanted to get to go through the day. They didn't want you to rock the boats. They didn't want to do anything. When they off, when when Sky offered um, to the, the cameraman, we would like to train you to be editors. Uh, three people out of twenty-five took it up, and I, and I was one of them. And most of them didn't want to. They didn't want to do it. Why should we? We don't do that. It's not our job. Not interested. Uh, and it's that sort of attitude. Yeah. Clearly, you know, by by that point, you know, you you know, you're finished really in in things and you know i'm glad i did i mean it made me it made me much better instantly made me a better cameraman editing my own stuff instantly Mm, yeah and and it's always these things i'm always you're always learning and that's the key thing always always learning i'm i'm improving in every aspect of my filmmaking i'm i'm hoping i still am i'm you know there's no such thing as as oh nothing to learn and that's i think half the battle is always going to be your attitude as long as you have the right attitude um, you should be okay. You um, earlier you were talking about like what you call yourself, and you referred to yourself as a filmmaker, and you explained why. And this was another topic that had come up with uh, that roundtable that I had done, where one of the filmmakers actually said he didn't refer to himself as a filmmaker, and you know we all you know respected what he wanted to call himself, but I guess he was saying that since he hadn't like done a I don't know. <clears throat> He hadn't done a, a feature film yet, and mm-hmm. he felt like the short films that he does, because he does like more commercial corporate work, but his work mm. is very, he's an extremely talented filmmaker. I would call him a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole idea of what we call ourselves comes up a lot in our industry, whether you call yourself a DP or whether you call yourself a cinematographer or a filmmaker. Yeah. Um, how how important are titles to you? Like, because it seems like we do get caught up on it a lot, and sometimes I feel like to the detriment. Like the conversation seems to be something more than just whether or not you call yourself a DP versus a videographer versus a cinematographer. Uh, I'm curious what your take on, is on that. It's tricky, isn't it? Because it'd be so much easier if we were just photographers, because that's what you are. You're a photographer. You're a different type of you're a different type of photographer, and that's what's like, you know. You're a portrait photographer. You're a commercial photographer. You're a landscape photographer. You're a street photographer. Whereas for moving images, it's it's actually a it's it's just a bit confusing. I hate the word videographer. <laughs> yeah. I think I I mean I just hate the word video. Full stop. Apart, you know, the time we use the word video uh, in professional circles, in in actually defining a a type of genre is a music video. Yeah. We don't call it music films. Anything else, but you know, it's it's then then you'll get somebody who's being a really pretentious bastard. So oh, you're not shooting on film, so you can't call it film. You're calling it video. I'm like, oh, for God's sake! <laughs> uh, you know, right. you know, you're not a cinematographer because you, you're showing your, yourself online. I'm like, whatever, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I have. What if I put it on my home cinema? If I put Vimeo on my home cinema, does that count? Right. You know, I want maybe uh, maybe because most people watch. Most people watch my stuff on Vimeo on mobile devices. So maybe I'm a mobileographer, <laughs> a, mo- a, a mobiographer. I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, ty- this is where titles get ridiculous. And director of photography, director of photography is a very specific thing, um, for sure. Um, cameraman is a very generic term in a way. Cameraman tends, but it's, it's funny because. Um, I've had one, one big experience working on a big Hollywood film. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't my sort of thing at all. Um, I, I like small crews and things, but it was interesting knowing that um, the the DPs are referred to as cameramen. Mm. They're not referred to as director photographers. So you know, I, I will speak. You know, I'll be speaking to you know the director, or I'll be speaking to producer, and referring to some of his favorite cameramen. You know, r- rattling off you know lists of names that we would consider cinematography greats. Um, 
so you know the, the the actual terms they really are relevant if somebody if somebody is getting caught up with somebody else's definition of themselves <laughs> then they really need to get a life <laughs> who cares what 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 joe blogs if joe blogs wants to call himself dp and he's 14 years old good luck to him that's none of your it's none of your concern it shouldn't bother you um now you know, it's about what you call yourself, and, and and it really is. It's just because you just you have set, wear so many hats. I can't think of another phrase or any any a title which defines what I do, uh, unless you start listing your skills: director, DP, editor, producer. You know, it starts beginning. You know, yeah, you could do that if you want to. But I don't hire myself out as an yeah. editor or a producer. The only things I do out of those individually would be director and DP. So sometimes I'll just direct. Sometimes I'll just be DP. Sometimes mm-hmm. I do them all. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's, it's not very really accurate either. So, God, sometimes I assist. And sometimes I help out friends, you know. Right. So it's oh sound. I do sound as well sometimes, don't I? When you, when you you haven't got the budget of a sound recorder, so do I put sound recorders down as well? Um, that's why I think people shouldn't get hung up on terms. Yeah. If you want to call yourself that, that's absolutely fine. You want to call yourself auteur, artist, what, you know? I don't really care. It's be as pretentious as you want. Um, how about just creator? Oh, oh, that's okay. a good one. I just call myself creator. You're the Isn't creator. That, Hang on, that means you're God. That's not going to work, is it? No, that's not going to work. No, that's going to that's offend some people. Let's, let's scrap that bit. <laughs> what would be your advice for someone who is... Well, actually, before I ask that question, one other question. What was... I mean, you've, you've obviously been able to achieve sort of like this worldwide acclaim, you know, doing stuff for CNN and for... Um, you did something with Albert Hughes and Morgan Spurlock and... Um, you really made a name for yourself in terms of the kind of work you've been able to do. Was there, was there, um, I don't know, was there like a seminal moment or a seminal project you did that you felt like was the one that kind of like broke the mold or was the one that kind of set you on the path that you're on? Or was it more of like a slow burn that over time kind of got to where you are? Because for some people, you could point to like one film or project that started it all. Mm. Was it like that yeah. for you, or was or was it more just no. a slow burn thing? I think it's slow burn. I mean, you look at somebody like, say, Vince Lafaray. I mean, you you can point straight away to Reverie as sure. his moment, but that was because it was his he it was his first video, mm-hmm. and it you know he went from being a, a photographer to uh, doing video film. Filmographer, videographer, creator, whatever he want to call himself, I don't know. Um, and f- so there wasn't, I don't think there was any one piece, uh, you know, lots of people will point to one thing, which is their, maybe their favourite thing that I've done. But for me, it's the most definitely been a, a very slow burn um, uh, over, you know, including the years of Sky, which helped define and refine what I liked. And then t- I when I went freelance and um, looked into new technology, because when I was at Sky, it was one beta cam, tripod, uh, a couple of lights. I didn't have a softbox. Mm-hmm. I think I might have. I didn't really have anything really nice. I, 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 I managed to get to borrow a dolly and track every now and then. I used a jib once. I mean, it was basic stuff. Uh, it really was basic stuff. And so when I went freelance, all that sort of changed. You know, I started experimenting with 35 mil adapters and uh, with different types of lights and different types of sort of grip gear. And then, for, you know, and it kind of, um, I learned so much during that time of being freelance, you know, way more technically than I did when I was staff. And, and also finding what, you know, with all these amazing toys, I still found that I ended up just using the most basic stuff because mm. it just gets in the way. It slows you down. But, you know, lighting for me is something I'm always, always working on and trying new things and trying different things. But also, again, still not trying to overcomplicate things. But there's, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say there's any one piece. Uh, I, you know, I, I suppose, you know, you could probably ask um, the guys at, at CNN, you know, why, 
why did you want me for season one? Mm-hmm. And they will point to different things. I mean, part of it for them, I think, was the um, the drone film I did in Thailand on holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, there was stuff in there they really liked. Uh, and then there was other things as well. So I don't know. And then and then I'm sure that this series, the, the, the first series of The Wonderlist, um, is responsible for lots of other stuff. Sure. Um, that's coming up for sure. Um, I mean, we've got the second series to film before then, um, which is going to start next month. Um, and that, and that's, you know, what's, uh, this goes back to, to other things, other things you point, you, you know, you've mentioned, um, is I'm not in season two. I'm not interested in repeating what I've done in season one. Hmm. I've watched the episodes countless times, of course, and I've analyzed them. And I know what's worked and what hasn't worked. I know what needs to be done to make things better. There will be certain aspects which will con- will continue, which we don't want to change. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm I've got you know a, a gazillion things buzzing around in my head of ways we can do things, which are going to make things ten times better. Mm. I'm hoping, yeah. and that well, that's what excites me. Not I mean, it's obviously exciting going off and doing more episodes, but it's. Having that break is, is a key thing as well because yeah. we, we haven't filmed – the last filming we did for the series was in February, uh, beginning of February. And so it's, you know, we're starting in August and that's a lot of reflective time and that's great because, you know, I've done other things in the meantime and tried different things and I really had a chance to just analyze what we did. Especially when you were shooting such a crazy schedule like we were, I didn't really have much of a chance to really um, – really, uh, think too diff- uh, too much about what we'd actually just done it wasn't until afterwards when i started looking at what we'd done uh, and now you know the second series we have we, we, we've been given it's, it's less episodes but more time per episode so we're filming them at the same amount of, day, of days but for less episodes and, and that is thinking oh this is exciting because it's going to give me a chance again to just be a little bit more uh controlled mm-hmm. in what i want uh, a lot of it was a lot of scrambling because of time, and I want things to be a lot more controlled. I want one of the key things, and a lot of people don't do this, is planning. Not oh, necessarily, yeah. um, not storyboarding in the slightest, but having an idea of you know what's coming up and how we would shoot a particular sequence, because there's three of us on the crew, uh, producer uh, and a junior, a more junior producer, and the main producer is always shooting. And I'm having an assistant as well on this next season, which is going to be wonderful. And it's just thinking of ways we can actually really just make things look better mm-hmm. in different aspects and making a list of which makes it looks better. And having that, thinking in that way is the best, is great because it's not like they've said to me, we want it to be better. This is me saying I need it to be better because they would, they'd be very happy as it was. Right. But I would because I know it can be better. Uh, every, and you know, I think being a perfectionist is a is a um, is a mixed blessing. Um, Would you call yourself? Right. Are you a perfectionist? I'm a I'm a fa- I'm a, a failed perfectionist. I think like most people are, because there's no such thing as perfection. Um, I try as much. You you try. The thing is, it's it's about what you aim for. As long as you aim for perfection, and and then understand that you have to make compromises, then that's fine. I think that's the best thing. What you don't want to do is just go, ah, let's just do this. I can't be bothered. That's wrong. You should always try your very best and then let go. If you have to let go, let go. You know, if it means I can't, I haven't got time to get the light exactly right, but we, we have people waiting and we have to go with it. And it happens and you have to let go. It's frustrating, mm. but you can't let it eat you up either. It's the reality of, of paid broadcast work or any really any any paid work because you're working for clients and time is your time is your enemy, and that's I think that's part of why these camera reviews that I do every now and then take so long. <laughs> is I am a perfectionist, mm-hmm. and when I don't have somebody breathing down my neck, as in a client, I will take my time mm. and I will keep on working at it and tweaking it and changing it and redoing stuff until I'm like okay. They're going to bring out a replacement for this camera soon. I really should put out the review for this old one. Right. Uh, even your reviews, it's funny you bring up your reviews because, you know, this whole idea of style, like your reviews have a style. Like when you think about 
a camera review, like your reviews are, you know, they're cinematic, they, your use of music, your, the way you intercut between yourself and the review and how you sort of like inject your personality into it. Um, it has a very highly polished and produced you know, sensibility to it. So it's, you don't, you almost don't feel like you're watching a review. You feel like you're watching like a little, I don't know, documentary about the, about the camera. Um, yeah. Uh, why, do, why do you do it like that? Like, why do you want to do it like that? I don't think I can do it any other way. Um, if you look at my very early reviews, they are just like reviews. Um, and I think I just need to, I just, I enjoy creating and want to make things look and feel as good as possible and cinematic as possible and enjoying enjoy, enjoyable as possible and i don't know whether i achieve this but it's the, you know this as the aim of any filmmaker as far as i'm concerned is is to make whatever you're making watchable and enjoyable enjoyable is a phrase which doesn't always work because what you know but as in in watchable and maybe enjoyable. i don't know i can't think of the right word because obviously some stuff you make isn't supposed to be enjoyable Sure. Uh, some of the hard, harder stuff. But if somebody who has no interest, no knowledge about something can sit down and, and take something away from it and enjoy it and not get bored, then I think you've done a very good job as a filmmaker. And um, I think, you know, we, we met um, on the wedding filmmaking circuit, I believe, didn't mm-hmm. we? Yeah. Uh, even, though I, yeah even though I'm not involved in that uh, at all, um, the skill of a of a great somebody who does that, a great wedding filmmaker or videographer, whatever you want to call them, as far as I, me personally, is not just that the couple or family love what you make, but somebody can sit down and watch it mm-hmm. who knows nobody in that wedding yeah. and have enjoyed it. And you know, I remember seeing like Joe Simon's work mm-hmm. um, when I first came across him and look at his stuff and just be blown away by it. It's like, wow. You're good. Um, that's that's a great filmmaker, and so my reviews, in a way, um, I just want them. You know, they ask. Is, you know, if, if somebody watches them, who some of the technical stuff will go over their heads if they're not interested in the slightest. But you know, if your partner is, you know, if you're watching as um, a review and your partner says, "What are you doing watching this?" and your partner's going, "Oh, this is interesting. I'm going to watch this too." And they have no interest in, in that whatsoever. Then, and they've enjoyed it. Then, then great. And I've had quite a few people tell me that, um, you know, their girlfriends or their boyfriend or whatever it is have, have watched this and they have no interest in these things and they've enjoyed it. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. You know, got to get to the point where it's, you know, I think, I think, you know, that's the case. You know, that's 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 what's interesting for me is to try and make something enjoyable for everybody. Um, I, you know, I, I spent too long making them for sure, but, um, I mean, that's, it's, it's, that's the biggest issue for sure. Yeah. But I don't think I, I would struggle doing it any other way. Mm. That's the thing. It goes back to the whole perfectionist thing. Sure. Sure. Um, all right. Well, one last question before I let you go, you've been, I really appreciate you taking the time, um, sure. with as much work you've put out there and as many views as they get, um, you get both a lot of high praise and I would bet you get your fair share of, critiques both uh constructive and otherwise how do you mm. how do you um I, I guess like what advice would you give for dealing with uh comments you get online from people both the good and the bad like not letting the good get to your head and not letting the bad the unconstructive criticism get you down yeah i mean it, it is tricky and, you know, it depends on you as a personality, you know, how you deal with things, how thick your skin is. You know, I've, I'm always, I've always been a very sensitive person, so in my life, full stop. And any time anything's, any, nobody likes anything being sad about anything about them, do they? Not really. It would be very strange if you did. Um, but what you need to figure out is, is how to just take it on board and not let it destroy you because, you know, it... it it's just an opinion and who's to say that they're, they're right or wrong and often those opinions are actually quite valid mm-hmm. i mean you know the, you know the, 
obviously something on like YouTube. YouTube isn't necessarily the best place to be getting any constructive feedback whatsoever. Right. Vimeo will obviously have a better quality. Um, you know, a, a feedback of good job or comment on good job isn't really going to benefit you in either way. Right. Um, it's, uh, you know, some people will give you a long explanation as to what they didn't like and blah, blah, blah. And a knee jerk would be a defensive response and mm. we've done it i've done it and then deleted it um because you know you you know and then often you 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 take that step back and you go you know what they're probably right maybe mm. i should just do this and that mm-hmm. and that's like that's what i like about vimeo so much is the ability to replace videos mm-hmm. and so you can make yeah. little tweets here and there I think, you know, as a filmmaker, you have to be able to listen to what other people say. Because if you can't, then you'll never work. Because how often as a filmmaker, or whatever it is we decide to call ourselves when you're being paid to do it, do you have final say in everything? Almost never. Your client will want changes and changes and changes and changes, and you have to just accept it and let go. And that's fine. I mean, you know, I, there's so much I've done that's been paid work, corporate work, whatever it is that I'm not happy with at all. I think the things that they've done, they've want me to make changes to or how they've edited it. I just don't like whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But I accept that. Um, and because that's the reality of things, we have to accept that. You're not the boss. You have, you know, you're part of the team. You've been hired. You know, it's like, could you imagine if you, you, you know, you hired some builders to build your house and then what they end up building you is so completely against what you asked for but they said this is much better and as an artist <laughs> I think it's what you want um, it doesn't yeah, have a roof that, but it's, it's yeah there's no roof and you know it's 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 made out of tissue paper <laughs> because we think it's it makes a statement about the fragility of our world um, then you're not going to be very happy right <laughs> So you have to actually be completely realistic about things and accept criticism. Um, you know, some, some people do take pleasure in just being nasty. But you can tell the difference between just somebody who's just being nasty and somebody who is, who is opinionated. There's mm-hmm. lots of opinion. Lots of people have too much time for their, you know, I don't know how they find the time to be so opinionated. Um, and there's people who... I don't know how they have time to just be so unpleasant. There's no need for that. Um, there's very helpful people out there who do actually write valid feedback. You know, I didn't like it for this reason. That's fine. Um, doesn't you know? Just take on board. Don't let it get to you. Mm-hmm. It, it will get to you, and trust me, it will get to you. Uh, but don't let it they eat you up. If, you know, especially if it's something you've put everything into and you're really proud of. Um, you're never, ever, ever, ever going to please everybody. There's no such thing as a video which every single comment is one of praise. There is no such thing, and there never will be such thing, because we all have different tastes. If we all liked the same thing, it will be a very dull world, and I think you need to accept that. Because, you know, you, you could have a 100 comments saying, this is amazing, and then you could have a comment which says, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. I hope you never pick up a camera again. Right. That's going to hurt you. Yeah. But don't let it. Yeah. Try not to let it if you can. If you can. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest misconception people have about you? Um, there's a thousand misconceptions. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I know the life start. of a worldwide celebrity. Yeah, I think uh, people think I'm rich. I had people saying, "Can you don't give me one of your cameras?" I know you got loads of money in cameras, and I am not rich in the slightest. If I was, if I wanted to, do, if I wanted to get rich, I would do this business. <laughs> I got into this. I got into this business because I I enjoy and love what I do. Any every penny I have pretty much goes into run, keeping my business going or buying new gear or whatever it is like that. You know, it's not like um, I you know don't own a yacht or a sports car or a big house or anything fancy like that. I just, I work because I, I, I do what I do because I love it. Mm-hmm. And the money comes in um, to support my life. 
mm. not a lifestyle of my life. And that's fine. I mean, that may be a misconception, potentially. Um, you get the same ones which people think that I'm, you know, I'm bought up by, you know, this company. Or that. I've been bought up by Sony, Panasonic, Canon, and everybody, I think, that I've been accused of. I've not <laughs> been bought up by anybody. I'm totally independent. And yeah. I'm a complete floozy when it comes to these things. I'll try anything from anybody and give it a go. Yeah. And if it works better than what I've got, then I'll... I'll switch over. Yeah. I, you know, I am. I think I'm pretty much an open book. You know, that's good and bad when it comes to online. Um, yeah, online is is is. Uh, internet's the best thing in the world and the worst thing in the world. Yeah. And we certainly put. There's times where I put too much of myself out there, and there's times, uh, you know, when I totally regret that yeah. being too open and, and me, um, and stuff that needs to be held back. You know, pri private life of, you know, I don't need to tell people what I'm doing all the time or, you know, just having some sort of separation is key. Uh, but as I say, you know, when, when you are online, you know, what when you read um, what I write and, you know, you can tell, I'm quite, you can tell when I'm not having a great day and you can tell when I'm happy mm -hmm. just from the, how I write stuff, you know, how I reply to people. If I, if I write snappy replies to people, it means I'm in, I'm a, in a grumpy mood, <laughs> <laughs> and if I'm really silly, I'm in a good mood. Yeah. So that's I'm I am a very very open book, um, and I really am I really do m what I do online because I, I do want to give back. That is the reason why I do it because uh -huh. I was lucky enough to have some great mentors growing uh, starting out in my career, and I don't feel people have that you know as much we don't you know i didn't go to film school uh i know a lot of people don't go to film school and a lot of people do go to film school but a lot of our education is from watching other people's work it is from online and you know if any advice that i can give can any if they can get one thing of advice which can help them then that's great and um, i'll be happy um i do actually like helping people and I want to help people as much as I can. There is no ulterior motive other than I actually want to help people. And I think it's, it's a good thing to want to give back, you know. I think it's, it's you know, it's how I was brought up. How my family brought me up uh, in, a, in a very, you know, loving, generous way. Uh, and that's how I live, try to live my life as, as hard as I can. You know, we all fail and... Uh, wish we could do things better in other ways, but um, at the end of the day, I I, uh, I I just want to try and help people and squeeze things in uh, amongst my other normal work as well. You know, when I'm not filming, um, I, I, there's no and there's no, you know, there's no secrets. There's no black art to filmmaking that I'm like I'm not telling you how I did this. This is the secrets <laughs> that only I only I am allowed to have. Not really. There's nothing like that. You know you. Um, there are guys out there who do some incredible stuff and you want to know how it's done, they won't tell you. And that's fair enough because that's their thing and let them do it. Um, I think, you know, a lot of it is, I think, yeah, it's just openness and, mm -hmm. you know, I think yeah, I've made a lot of friends, I've met a lot of people online. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's for the most part, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a great community. It is a very small community. Mm -hmm. Most people must forget it's it's not that you know you'll come across the same people again and again and again and everybody knows everybody <laughs> it's like you know there's no six degrees separation it's like t probably two <laughs> right. i would say yeah. you know I, i'm pretty certain it's around two you, you'll know somebody who knows somebody yeah who knows that person right it's guaranteed it's such a small world yeah. well i think that's a great ending i really appreciate you taking the time field um and that's one thing I've always appreciated about you is how much you give back to the community. And um, I appreciate you doing it again here. You're welcome. It's a pleasure, Ron. All right. Uh, take well, take care. Was that your little cat I heard purring? Uh, she's purring. Uh, I didn't know you hear her. She, yeah, she's, she keeps pump coming up. She's, she's you know, they're, they're finding the heat a bit much. Yeah. Uh, well, they, they can't take their fur off. Yeah. Well, you stay cool and we'll be in touch. Thanks, Ron. Take All care. Right. All right. Th thanks, my friend. Bye-bye. Bye. You handle it all. Hey, Tom. The business. How's it going? The pitches and the client relations. The pre-production, production, and post-production. 
the time management, stress, and self-motivation. You are a team of one, but that doesn't mean you have to be on your own island and figure everything out on your own. That's an excerpt from Story in Heart's promotional video for their Team of One filmmaking course. It's now part of their entire suite of tutorials in their Academy of Storytellers membership. This course includes over 20 video tutorials that covers everything from pre-production to post for a team of one filmmaker. It also goes into business practices, has templates and downloads, and you get to go behind the scenes on the set with Ray Sang, one of the Emmy award-winning filmmakers on the still motion team. This course alone is easily worth hundreds of dollars, but as an Academy of Storytellers member, you also get access to all of their nearly 150 tutorial lessons, including the new behind the scenes tutorial of Joe Simon's amazing and provocative short film, Low Tide. Now, here's why I'm telling you about all of this, but shh, gotta keep this on the down low. Don't tell anybody, it's just between me and you. If you go to daredreamer.fm slash team of one, that's all one word with one spelled out, and use my affiliate link on that page, you can get your first quarter of membership for only $90. It's normally $120. That's a 25% savings. For that price, you'll have access to their entire lineup of video tutorials from filmmakers like Still Motion, Joe Simon, Ryan Booth, Elaine McMillian Sheldon, and more. I mean, that's crazy. So go right now. It's daredreamer.fm slash team of one with the word one spelled out. Join the Academy of Storytellers as we embark on a filmmaking course designed to help you create amazing films as a team of one. You'll go on set with Emmy Award winning filmmakers Ray Sang and Justin Demers. Hey there, Justin and Ray again from Story and Heart. As they share their tips, tricks, and secrets on all aspects of solo filmmaking. Individual lessons walk you through the entire filmmaking process, pre-production to post-production, from the perspective of a Team of One filmmaker. We are excited to share everything we know with you in this Team of One filmmaking course. Once you complete the course, you'll have the knowledge you need to confidently tackle all aspects of filmmaking and running a business as a solo creative. And Team of One filmmaking is just the start. When you join the Academy of Storytellers, you can experience a Team of One filmmaking course and so much more. You'll learn from filmmakers like Joe Simon of The Deliverymen, Maddie Brown, Patrick Moreau and Joyce Sang of Still Motion, Ryan Booth, Elaine McMillian Sheldon, Dan Reardon and Dana Saint of Gnarly Bay, and many, many more. And just as importantly, you'll also learn from each other. You'll have exclusive access to over 145 tutorials with new ones added weekly, interactive webinars, downloadable resources, and the Academy community of like-minded filmmakers. Gain the knowledge and the skills you need to be confident on set. Leave your clients wowed and setting yourself up for a successful career doing exactly what you love, making films. You're listening to Dare Dreamer FM, the sound of creative expression. Hmm? Ah! Oh. Podcast